Welcome to Sweet Talk. This broadcast is brought to you by the Continuing Education Workforce Training Division of Idaho State University's College of Technology. This podcast is part of our continuing outreach efforts, and the format is conversational. We will be having conversations with businesses, professionals, entrepreneurs, community agencies, and, in all cases, difference makers. Now, let's get started with Sweet Talk. Raylan Price. I'm the health programs coordinator here at SWEET, Idaho State University. And I have here with me Dr. Drew McRoberts. We are so excited to have him here and to tell us a little bit about himself and about um, his role in our upcoming emergency medicine conference. Well, thanks so, for having me. Yeah, yeah. If you want to just kind of introduce yourself and we'll talk okay. about your background. Be well, um, my name is Drew McRoberts. I'm the trauma director at Portniff Medical Center. Um, been the trauma director here in town for over 20 years, and um, we have supported the EMS conference that we've been having here for a couple years now. And part of our goal uh, at Portniff, since we're the regional trauma center, is to experience and participate and promote outreach for trauma and, and EMS education. We, uh, we appreciate that. We really do. So tell us maybe a little bit about your background as far as how you landed here and in trauma and as the director of trauma. Okay. Yeah. Um, thanks. I'm actually originally from Pocatello. Um, grew up here. Um, my father was a surgeon here for 40 years and uh, went, I went off and followed in his footsteps and went to University of Washington for my medical school and residency. And the University of Washington is very actively involved in trauma care, and I kind of got that bug as well. And so when I returned here, I had had advanced kind of trauma training. And certainly, it's our obligation when we have that to take care of our community. And so I've always kind of carried that baton. And uh, came back here, got to operate with my father, who had a wonderful reputation. I tell people it's I work every day to upkeep his reputation. <laughs> so that's kind of a nice job to have. And um, then as the years have gone on, we've really kind of progressed trauma care in Pocatello by bringing in more and more trauma providers and becoming verified as a level two trauma center. And so that's sort of, uh, I, I couldn't wait to get back here. I love to ski, love to mountain bike, and it's a great place to live. That's awesome. So what does that mean to Pocatello in this area to actually have a level two trauma center? Well, I think the biggest thing is, um, I've always said it's our obligation to take care of our population. Um, when you have trauma training, you're kind of the only people that know how to do it. There's nobody else here that does. And part of that is that we put a program together that's able to take care of patients from the scene of the injury all the way through the care in the hospital, which is, of course, what I focus on, but then also doing things like injury prevention, doing outreach, um, working with the different EMS agencies, which there's a lot of them in this uh, county, state, and uh, area, and uh, trying to coordinate that all the way through. So it's kind of a circle from time of injury all the way through prevention and outreach and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. That's so great. So maybe um, tell us what you will be presenting about at the Emergency Medicine Conference. What will be your focus areas? Yeah, so last year we had a... Uh, a uh, 
session where we focused on some of the most outstanding traumas that we've taken care of up at Portneuf. And so those are kind of big bling items, you know. It's like we took care of a bull rider who got crushed, and we took care of people who fell out of trees. And they're kind of spectacular stories of great saves that people love to hear. But we focus on what happened to the patient from the time of the scene through the EMS agencies and why they did such a great job providing uh, care to the patient, getting them to us alive so that we could take care of them. And so that was a very popular uh, presentation last year, and so they asked us to come back and do that again. And okay. so um, I think that most of the cases that we have are kind of routine, but then every once in a while you have these outstanding ones that everybody wants to hear about. Sure. It was very popular. Um, people loved that um, presentation. So do you have um, new case studies as well to present with that? Or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's never any shortage of new cases <laughs> coming through. So, yeah, we take care of last year we had 800 trauma activations. Wow, so you got to figure. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, from, I guess from all different areas, rural traumas, farm traumas. Correct. Okay. Yep. And so we, you know, we are a regional trauma center. So we get cases transferred down from as far away as Salmon, Wood River Valley, a lot coming over from now from Twin Falls, um, and then certainly Ermac, which is 45 miles north of us, handles the stuff that's up around the uh, Yellowstone. Jackson area, but we get everything in the southeast. And yes, it's a lot of rural trauma, um, hunting, recreational accidents, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, wow. That's cool. So tell me, um, if you had to name one thing about being a surgeon that's your favorite thing ever, what would it be? Well, getting to operate, that's getting like the best. <laughs> <laughs> And it's yeah. probably always a surprise, right? Oh, it, well, especially with trauma. It's right. going in and figuring out what's happened to people because no two are the same, right? Sure. There's patterns of injury, but, but it's mostly it's, yeah, go discover what's going on with them. But there's a set kind of way that you do it that's organized. So you don't, you don't want to miss any kind of injuries or anything on anybody. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that's the best. Yeah. You've got a question. Yeah, um, it sounds like you're active in treating trauma at the hospital, but you're also the director, so you do all the administrative work as well. How do you balance that or cope with that? Well, um, you know, the Port of Medical Center is committed to having a program, and yes, you have to have somebody who's administratively in charge of that and ensures that the care of the patient, whether I'm the trauma surgeon or, you know, I have four other partners who are just as skilled as I am at doing the care of the patient. Plus, we're uh, general and trauma surgeons. We need orthopedic surgeons, neurosurgeons, head and neck surgeons, you know, the oral surgeons. All these people have to be coordinated, and really it's coordinating the care of, for example, the nursing staff, getting the lab to be there to bring blood when the patients need that, getting the emergency department nurses seamlessly involved with the operating room crew, involved with the intensive care unit crew. It's, and so we do a lot of, of coordinating of care. We have clinical management guidelines that say this is the way we do this every time. And then I think one of the most important things we do is practice. Mm -hmm. We have practice drills that are unannounced where we actually um, do what's called a moulage where we 
dress a patient up as a trauma and we run a drill as a real trauma and we go through everything and then when we're done we have a debriefing where everybody says this is what we did well this is what we didn't do well this is what we need to do better next time and we do drills frequently throughout the year um, this year we're actually starting uh, this coming month uh, to do drills that are now videotaped oh, so nice. that we can actually see how people perform and that's kind of the advanced state-of-the-art way to ensure that you're providing the best care within your facility. Right. <laughs> okay. Dr. McRoberts, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's fascinating to hear that you know you're kind of taking over where your, where your father uh, led the way and I'm curious if you look backwards, has trauma care changed a lot? I mean, is it trending in new ways that you hadn't thought of before? Oh, it, it has for sure. And um, before I answer that, I definitely need to give a shout out to June Heilman, who was really the predecessor in trauma care here in Pocatello. My father was a surgeon, but he was never the trauma director. June Heilman, who actually trained in my program at University of Washington, carried that baton for the 20 years before me. So she deserves a lot of credit. Um, regarding trauma care itself, yeah, it's changed um, immensely. We do a lot less operative interventions now on trauma. So in other words, people get injured. It used to be you went and operated on them, and now we have much better, less invasive ways of taking care of trauma patients, using um, radiologists to go in and stop bleeding just in the blood vessels themselves. Um, we know that not everything requires an operation the way it used to, so there's a lot less um, operative interventions. That would be one way. The second way is the coordination of care in treating trauma patients is a lot more organized now. For example, in 20, I believe it was 2015, we passed the state um, time-sensitive emergency system where we now have a state system of taking care of not just trauma, but the other time-sensitive emergencies, those that require urgent care, are people who have heart attacks and people who have strokes. Mm -hmm. And so now we have an organized sense of how we care for those people. And their motto is actually the right patient to the right place in the right time. And so especially in a rural area like ours, you know, if somebody has a trauma, say in Bear Lake, or they have a stroke, it's important that they get to the right place quickly. And that's really been a big change in care, especially over the last 10 years. Which is actually, if I can just interject, that's why um, our theme of our conference this year is time-sensitive emergencies because we want to be able to provide that education to all of the people in our region and area to make sure that we have the most up-to-date sure. information. Mm -hmm. So, yes. I just kind of um, when I was I'm older guy, um, younger when I was younger they referred to it as emergency care. Over the years, is now better known as trauma care, why the change in the vocabulary? Well, I think that, um, so recognizing the fact that trauma, it's, it, and we used to call it accidents, we now no longer call it that, it's, it's actually trauma, it's injuries that occur that may or may not have been intentional. 
but um, emergencies encompass all the other stuff. For example, you know, strokes, heart attacks, people who have emergent problems in their belly, they have an ulcer or something that ruptures. So there's a whole various uh, degree of and, and range of illnesses. You know, people can have um, psychiatric emergencies and where they have a mental breakdown and stuff like that. So th those things can occur for sure. So in your experience, um, as somebody who receives these patients to the ER or to your, your department, how important is it for those responders out in the field to know what they're doing and where to, how to package that person and get them to the right place? I think the two biggest things are, um, number one is to get it done quickly because uh, we have what's called the golden hour mm -hmm. that you have to get somebody to definitive care and get whatever the problem is taken care of, especially if it's bleeding. You want to get that sure. stopped. And then number two, very importantly, is do no further harm, right? Especially um, around here in the wintertime, the first thing that happens is the patients get extremely cold. So it's getting those people cared for but not making them worse. You know, that's why we concentrate on keeping people's spines straight and you don't want to injure their neck anymore and, and stuff like that. One of the other programs we have regarding that is called Stop the Bleed, which I think we may be, we do you know, are, last we, year, are we doing it at this one this year? Possibly, <laughs> right? Last year we did um, run a couple of sessions of the Stop the Bleed, and that is an important program. Yes. Do you want to tell them just a little bit about what the Stop the Bleed is and who can be involved in the sure. Stop the Bleed? So um, the Stop the Bleed course is um, excellent. Anybody can take it. Any person at all can take it. It's kind of like learning CPR for trauma. And, and it's because the number one way that people die from trauma that could have been prevented is that they bleed to death from an injury. And so Stop the Bleed is a course developed from the American College of Surgeons Committee on Trauma where we teach people how to stop somebody from bleeding if they come upon them in an accident, most commonly would be in a motor vehicle crash. Um, and it is a course that can be taught by any type of provider, including the EMS providers, and those are the ones I kind of concentrate on because they're out in the community. It's a great course to teach it, for example, scout groups, church groups, uh, community groups. I've taught it to the Rotary Club here oh, in town, and, and I've been to the FBI twice to teach it, and they love it, you know. I went to the FBI thinking it was going to be men in black, and it was, as, as they told me, no, we're a bunch of computer geeks. But they loved it. They loved it. They invited us back. So, yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. So for the layperson and then also for your first responders, important, um, are there differences in how they treat or the differences in how what you teach in the Stop the Bleed, depending on the level of scope of practice? Really? No, no. Not, not at all. In fact, um, I can give examples over the past year where um, bystanders, one was a state trooper, stopped somebody from bleeding who came upon an accident. Another was just recently we had an EMS agency over in Minidoka who had somebody who had a 
um, severe injury to their leg that they were able to s stop from bleeding, saved her life. Wow. And then we experienced the same, we do the exact same techniques in the emergency department. And it's, you know, apply pressure where the bleeding is, place a tourniquet around a limb that may be bleeding and things like this. So it, it just gives people the skills and really what it does is has them exposed to what you need to do so they've thought about it before because when you come upon something like that, you can imagine, right, that's traumatic and you might hesitate and kind of freeze. Yes, and not want to jump in. Mm -hmm. And this gives you the skills to do that. Kind of the same idea of practicing ahead of time, just like you have to have uh, procedures and policies and practice in the ER. If you know what you're doing ahead of time, for sure, then yep. that's better. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's exactly oh, right. Another question. Sorry, one more. Yeah, that, that's a great theme. Is, you know, pre preparation in advance by doing all, all the exercises and the training that you're doing. I mean, last year, you had uh, Dr. Allsweet out here. Yes. He was at, in Las Vegas when they had the mass shooting. Uh, there were a number of great, great things that came out of that. The exercises that you use at Portland Medical Center for training your staff and all, do they, do they ever go outside of that where you're connecting it to maybe a mass simulation? Uh, exercise uh, that's going on. We're having that disaster response complex come into uh, ISU. I'm wondering if there's future, uh, you know, kind of a inspiration or consideration of doing something on a broader scale. So, um, great question, and yes, that's been done, um, actually several times. Yearly, for quite a few years now, we've done the program, um, which is mainly aimed at high school kids to have them not drink and drive, where they simulate a drunken driving accident, and they simulate it at the high school. There's an assembly, and they carry that patient all the way through the emergency department care. In terms of a mass casualty incident, we actually did one of those in the fall, I believe, um, coordinated a plane crash out at, um, at, the, the at the airport. And same thing, we brought 20 patients into the emergency department. We didn't take all those patients through the hospital. We actually brought them into the ER, triaged them to where they would have gone had they been injured, and they didn't. there were too many to kind of interrupt the flow of the sure. uh, patients there. But um, yes, those things have been done on a on a broad scale. That's important, you know. That's important it is for, for sure. And for people to know where their roles are and how they're going to work together. Yep. That, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we one of our uh, obligations again as a trauma center is that we within the community do disaster planning. And we have a complete disaster plan up at the uh, hospital. And what they do is you go through and you look at all the possible disasters that can occur and then you rank them by in terms of what is the most likely thing to happen. You know, if you're in New Orleans, it's a hurricane, but not in Idaho. Here, the most likely two events that would happen would be either, number one, most likely a blizzard that would cause severe interruption injuries and um, failure for people to get care. And then number two, we focus on, because we have INL here, is if there were to be a nuclear accident. Right. Oh, yeah. And speaking of INL, I mean, there's a huge push right now for a growth of construction going on up there with all those energy projects with a forecast of four to 5,000 new construction workers coming in by 2024. I mean, that's just saying, hey, we're, we're going to have to grow some capacity out here 
to deal with industrial-like accidents that might be coming. Because the nearest hospital to that place is, um, uh, it's not Ermac, it's the nearest one out there by Atomic City or someplace right next to it. Well, Lost Rivers is in yeah. Arco mm -hmm. itself. Arco, yeah. yeah. I don't know if they would be able to handle all that. And, and there will be an association of families and social uh, growth around that. That place is going is just going to boom right up. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's going to grow as a potential for more need, more medical care need, more trauma need. That's just going to happen. Yeah. So there's going to have to be some coordination. There probably is coordination with different regional centers. Correct. And so, for example, for time-sensitive emergencies, the, the state is divided into regions. And we are the, if you will, the hub of the southeast region. And then Idaho Falls is the hub of the east region. And then we both coordinate care within our regions um, regarding the hospitals. There's a south-central region in Twin Falls. And um, speaking specifically to ARCO, Lost Rivers Medical Center has gone on and become a state-certified level four trauma center. So they're doing the things that, that they need to do to ensure that they're participating in the coordinated care of the patient. Which is amazing for a small community like that. For sure. To yeah. To oh, well, there's our time. So... You were that right. You said it would go fast. It does. It goes so fast, <laughs> doesn't it? But we so appreciate you coming. I don't know why it's not stopping, but there we go. It stopped now. <laughs> Just wants to continue to ring. But we do appreciate you coming oh, yeah, on. For Is sure. there anything last minute that you'd like to say to wrap up? No. You know, we talked about the conference, which I think is awesome. Um, love the conference. We talked about just what our role is in it and stuff. So. Yeah, no, we're big supporters. If you want what? If I wanted to participate in the conference, how would I, would I do that? Um, go to ctrain.isu.edu, follow the conference link, or you can look for um, us on Facebook, on our blog. Um, there's information all of those different places that you can find. Well, they can reach out and find you somewhere. They can find me, yes. <laughs> you got a phone number, Raylan? <laughs> I'll give you my number, 208-282-3372. That's it. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, also, uh, it's May 1st and 2nd. It will be held here on the ISU campus in the Student Union Building. So want everybody to come. It's inexpensive, great continuing education, and we have wonderful um, presenters. So thank you. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you. Yep. Continuing Education Workforce Training Suite is comprised of professionals dedicated to serving your educational needs. We understand that when it comes to your future, it's all about you. Because our staff and faculty have real-world experience actually doing what they teach, our students obtain the skills and knowledge they are looking for to be competitive in today's marketplace. For more information, please visit our website, ctrain.isu.edu. That is ctrain.isu.edu. Or call us at 208-282-3372.